0: Welcome to John Glenn College of Public Affairs Policy Brief, webcast series of informed conversations with policymakers and influencers and public sector professionals. My name is Trevor Brown. I'm Dean of the Glenn College and proud to be your host. Privileged to be joined today by Council President Shannon Hardin of the City of Columbus. Council President Hardin, thanks for joining us today. Dean, thank
1: you so much for allowing me to be here and have this great conversation.
0: Looking forward to it. So let's start by talking about Columbus. Columbus is a city on the rise, um, growing dynamically, big forecasts for for exceptional growth. Uh, And then all of a sudden, COVID hit. Uh, Some other cities around the state, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and others have had to take some pretty drastic economic steps, furloughing workers, et cetera. But to this point, Columbus hasn't. What is it about Columbus that's allowed us so far to weather this um, this onslaught from from COVID?
1: Yeah, well, well, I think that, that that's a good question, and I wish I would could say that we were um, going to be universally indefinitely immune to some of the things that we have seen around the state and around the country. I don't believe that's totally the case. However, I do believe that we are different in some uh, in instances. And truthfully, those differences have, um, have always been there and really have, um, put us on the trajectory, uh, that we are on now uh, to uh, be the 14th largest city in the country, to have a expected uh, growth in population of anywhere between 500,000 to a million people over the next 20 or 25 years, um, and to have such a strong uh, uh, economy leading into the um, into the, the crisis. Uh, I think what what has uh, led us to that that point is that we have a pretty diversified economy. Um, we have a state government that is uh, uh, headquartered here. Um, we have uh, large employers that are um, a lot of, of white collar uh, employment, um, uh, like OSU, like Battelle. Uh, we have a, uh insurance uh, industry that is is strong. Um, we have research that, that is strong. And um, a, a lot of what, what those industries have in common, though, even though they're diversified, is that uh, the, the effects of, that, uh, of the coronavirus uh, in terms of not being able to uh, go into a physical location um, certainly have hurt. And we were, no, none of us were used to it. But a lot of those industries were able to pretty effectively pivot. Uh, to work- at-home situations um, thus they were have not did not do uh, immediate large uh, layoffs other communities around the state and certainly around the country that have, rely on different types of industries uh, say um, manufacturing or say uh, um, uh, travel or tourism um, those uh, communities were hit right right away uh, and uh, immediately and have seen the effects of that. In Columbus, uh, we, we have not. One of the other things in, in Ohio, I point this out to, to folks, um, Ohio uh, cities um, get a majority of our, our revenue from income tax. Uh, that is actually a very unique uh, circumstance. Uh, we make up 2% uh, na- nationally of cities that are actually funded uh, primarily from income tax. So to believe that um, the uh, economic downturn will not touch Columbus would be silly um, uh, to, to, to think that these would not catch up to us. Just today, uh, it was released that another 2.1 million people lost their jobs last week, uh, that will catch up to Columbus. Um, some of the differentiators in terms of how we've had to respond, um, truthfully, is that uh, we have had we have reserves. Um, we have not had to, to tap into them yet. We have received. Uh, we we have. Uh, and nearly uh, $85 million in our rainy day fund. We have another $25 million uh, set aside in basic city service fund, which was all, which we always do uh, to, to kind of cushion just in case there are things that come up along the year. Uh, and then since the, uh, pandemic hit, uh, came to, uh, made its way through Columbus, uh, we found ourselves doing a lot of cost-saving uh, 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 techniques, of course, like cutting travel, halting uh, hiring, that has saved another $25 million. So we have about $135 million, $140 million buffer um, that that uh, we have uh, when we uh see the see the the job loss catch up to to Columbus um but we're not there yet and the last differentiator that I would want to highlight and something that as uh, the executive committee of the national league of cities which represents 19,000 cities across the the country is that Columbus was the only city in our state that was large enough qualified for uh CARES Act stimulus money from the federal government. Uh, the criteria was that a city had to have a population above 500,000 people. We do, which meant that we got re- the city of Columbus received $157 million uh, that can be spent on COVID related uh, expenses. Um, I think all of these things will um, help us weather some parts of this storm. Uh, but no, the storm will fi- affect us financially. Uh, and and uh, speaking with, uh, she is a, a, our auditor, but also a professor at the at your school. My good friend, Megan Kilgore, uh, she will be making uh, budget uh, reassessments uh, in June um, that will kind of give us a clearer, a better picture of what the second half of the year will look like. Um, but uh, But we do know that it will catch up with us. I just think that we will be able to weather a little bit better.
0: All right. So that was a great overview of the course of our conversation. And I want to talk about each of those pieces, come back to some of those financial elements in particular, the interconnections between the federal government, the state government, and, and Columbus, because I know there are flows of revenues across those. But Yes, but let's talk about you, you. You described one of the reasons that we were able to, to at least weather the initial brunt financially of, of COVID was the ability of employers to pivot to virtual work. Yeah. What about the city of Columbus? It's a significant. I mean, how many employees are there?
1: Eight, we nine, have nearly nine thousand employees. How do you? How do you? turn off the lights
0: on, on a city of eight to 9,000 and go fully virtual or, or largely virtual in, in the delivery. And, and then after that, I want to hear a little bit about the role that council plays. So just talk just about the process by which you went virtual as a city.
1: Well, first, you have to assess and understand that uh, even in a shutdown, even in a, 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 a slowdown, that some things have to continue. Uh, Police have to continue to protect and keep our community safe. Fire has to be ready to respond to any danger. Uh, Trash has to continue to be picked up. Water services have to continue to be cleaned and and purified uh, and made available. And so what we have to do first is uh, figure out who is what is essential uh and, and see what do we have to uh continue to keep moving along uh even in this heightened security state and safety state and what we found was that out of our 9000 employees about 7200 of them still needed to engage still needed to work and so we weren't a good example of folks that um that that uh could stay at home. So a majority majority of our folks had to continue to to, to work, and we are very, very appreciative of them, especially our healthcare workers who worked uh, day in, day out, um, really before the public knew that their crisis was here, but had already been meeting, working in an emergency, posture uh, and so first we figured out who, who we had to keep going uh, then we uh, slowly pulled back those offices in coordination and in and, um, concert in and, and concert with um, the guidelines of the state government um, what, what what was interesting in terms of how you communicate or or What is interesting and and for us, you know, uh, the mayor uh, came to us uh, a week or a couple of days before we went to the public to ask, to say that he thought it was time to go into a state of emergency. Um, Communication is key and critical in uh, times of emergency because sometimes the fear of our language and our actions uh, can create more of an issue than the, the concern of why we're going into the emergency in the first place. And so we were very um, cautious in our, in our uh, language. We had to balance uh, expressing to the public that this was a dire uh, health situation that we were entering and thus we needed them to take things seriously and that, that we needed them to listen to the advice that we were getting from our health um, uh, advisors, our, our health officials, but we also couldn't incite panic uh, and so uh, we were very thoughtful about uh, how, the, how we rolled out the mayor's emergency um, powers and resolutions.
0: So you've been, you've been saying we in there, and I, I assume you mean we being the council.
1: The city council, uh, yes. So
0: talk a little bit about the council's role. So the, gov- or, sorry, the, the mayor came to you and said, I think it's time that we need to enter into uh, these emergency protocols. What is the council's formal role? um in in affirming or uh or what role do you play?
1: Well what we did was um one we, we did our first kind of webex meeting zoom meeting and pulled in the city attorney's office myself as council president and the mayor uh and uh talked through what it what those what those powers would be. What we understood under the, the uh powers that are articulated in our city code is that under a state of emergency that the mayor declared, he would have the ability to uh, make any expenditure that was specific to related to the emergency that was at hand. Um, and that had to be articulated. Uh, and so we all talked to my council members. Uh, we agree truthfully. Um, the mayor can go into that state of emergency with with or without our approval anyways. We felt that it was important, though, to show a a level of um, strong, uh, a, unific- a unified front that that we were on board with this, and so we uh, that same day passed a resolution in support of the mayor's actions and the health commissioner's actions. Now, those those that the emergency power allows for again expenditures specifically related to and have to be articulated the connection to the crisis, which meant the council council still has to play the critical role of everything else that has to happen. And so, uh, what we started uh, early on was um, even though the mayor did not need and, and does not need currently under the emergency uh, powers to come to ask us uh, about expenditures related to, to, to COVID, uh, that uh, every week that he would um, uh, share those with us, the the last week's um, uh, expenditures so that we um, would know how the city's dollars were, were being held. And, and again, you know, when you have a, 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 government, there's checks and balances. Our check was to make sure that those expenditures really were specifically COVID-related. And we felt we, we felt very comfortable that, those, that that's how it's been happening.
0: So um, perhaps this is another example of what we hear of as the Columbus Way, often framed as the partnership between public and private, but here it's executive and legislative collaboration. And um, that's that's very heartening to hear as
1: a student of democracy. It's it's really unique too. I'll say so. So <laughs> I get to be I am a part of a group of large city council presidents from around the country, uh, the top twenty largest metropolitan cities. Uh, we meet and we started meeting the first week of the coronavirus every Friday at four o'clock on on a Zoom, specifically to talk about. How do you work with, because everybody was in the very exact same situation. Um, How do you work with uh, uh, your administration, your chief executive under these emergency powers? And what I found was that we, uh, your point, we did it, we were doing it better in terms of partnership, true Mm -hmm. partnership. Not not turning our, our our closing our eyes or shutting down council, but uh, daily communication, daily interaction, decisions being made in concert and in tandem together, uh, almost better than anybody that I heard around the country. Sometimes very so, proud of.
0: So this may be frivolous, but it's something I'm sure some of our listeners and viewers will be keen to know. We have two executives, it sounds like, in the city of Columbus. We have the mayor and then you, the council president. And we often think of the title of president as an executive. And you could see that that might cause some conflict. Describe for us what is, why is that title there? Why are you referred to as council president? And, and what does that formally mean in terms of the distribution of responsibilities between the executive, the mayor, and the representative body, the, the council?
1: Well, it certainly is confusing to my six-year-old nephew, who uh, thinks that I am president of the city of Columbus and uh, proudly tells his kindergarten class that any chance he gets. Uh, But it is important um, uh, that in our code, we have a strong mayor system. Um, The mayor is the chief executive of our city. I liken it to a business. He is the chief operating officer. What I am is the chairman of the board of directors. Uh, so the mayor has to come to us, uh, to counsel, to, uh, uh get, a, approval for any expenditures that he makes. And likewise, we can come up with programming as well, but we need his signature, uh, most times, uh, actually we need his signature to, to, to move that, that, that process through my job as a, uh, we are a co-equal branch of government, uh, where, um, uh, my job is really almost administrative in that, uh, I have six other council members. Um, they are all independently elected, elected officials. My job is to make sure that the communication between the, uh, executive branch and the legislative branch is clear, concise, and that we too run our, uh, our offices, our council, uh, in, in, uh, in a way that, um, uh, is efficient. the The mayor has the oversight, the employment, um, the ability to hire and fire of the the nine thousand employees that we have. Uh, our job is, is to work in concert to make sure that, that he's able. We're able to fund those uh, priorities that we come up to come up with collectively, uh, and that we hold hold uh, the oversight responsibility over the, the rest of the government.
0: So you just very clearly explained the important role that you play as the representative body. Um, You mentioned earlier that you had your first WebEx meeting a while back, Um, and and I presume that that entailed more than just a communication, that you've now formally run council meetings virtually. Um, And and I, I want you to both explain Sort of how that works but also i want you to step back a little bit i mean there's a large national debate about moving voting procedures broadly to virtual delivery right i mean so there's a debate within congress right now about whether senators and house members can vote virtually and different sides of that but also there's a, a larger discussion about whether the populace can be, uh, participate in the voting process without actually going in and voting, vote by mail and, and other opportunities. Um, so this question about the council is part of this larger discussion about in a democratic system, in which at core choice, and choice exercised by the voter is so privileged and so important. How do you ensure as you move council virtually that you you know you keep that that process sacrosanct.
1: Well, you're 100% right. It's uh, it's fundamental and foundational to everything that we do that the public be able to engage and not just engage, not just just to watch. We're not putting on a TV show, uh, but to criticize, critique, ask questions, get in real-time responses. Uh, or even beforehand, before we, as we consider legislation, before we take votes, the ability to to um, to work with their elected officials uh, as we consider uh, how we spend their tax money, and so you know, for us, it, it, you know, we could not the 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 function of the city had to continue, which meant that we had to continue to 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 vote. The meetings that we had, we did. Um, we are currently uh, doing are only possible right now under the the governor's um, uh, state of emergency Um, right now the the governor put out a state of emergency that allowed for uh, not just cities but all the way down to townships and our zoning boards to meet virtually um that was passed and supported by the uh the state uh the state house uh and and and, um, and gave us this uh, ability but that expires on jane uh, at the end of this year uh and so uh what was really important to me to your point was that we had that capacity the, the interesting thing is is that we these some of these platforms the city had had purchased many years ago, we just weren't using them. And so it was interesting to learn in real time the capacity that we actually did have to, to operate in a virtual state and to allow um, the members of the, the public to participate as well. And so uh, we were very quickly, and this is something I'm very proud of, the technology department for allowing, or uh, helping us to to figure out, but also to council staff. Um, we, we From our very first meeting that we went virtual, um, folks have been able to, uh, speak on any piece of legislation. They can virtually speak on any piece of legislation. Um, they can, uh, uh still do, uh, written, uh, responses and engagement. We post our, we've been posting our, uh, meeting agenda. So folks know exactly what is on the agenda, uh, earlier so that folks can, um, uh, weigh in. Uh, beforehand, and so uh, it's been a really good engagement and a learning process. Truthfully, as we go, and truth, and also, um, even though we recommend that folks don't come in person to council, we have never legally prohibited folks coming to city council. So we also have that backstop as well. And so I think that safety considerations are for me would be the biggest concern. We, we saw the first few days of the crisis when folks were having these Zoom attacks. Uh, where, where folks with, what hijack meetings. Um, because we're using a secured uh, system um, that is powered by Microsoft, which is specific to um, uh, government agencies, and I think uh, larger institutions, other folks use uh, the Microsoft WebEx technology. Uh, we have not seen that, that issue uh, and, but but do monitor for that.
0: So you I'm so pleased that you gave the sort of legal architecture for why this was able to happen, the governor's orders, et cetera. So with that in mind, there there's so many organizations, the university where I serve, and you're explaining here about how you've been able to achieve functionality, it's been able to work, and, and in some ways, maybe it's been enhanced. People who couldn't physically come to a council meeting may be able to virtually participate. Let's fast forward a little bit and imagine that the crisis is over and the emergency order is no longer in place. Could you envision any push to move meetings like this virtually or create more opportunities for citizens to engage virtually in local governance, Um, things that we're learning now through COVID?
1: I heard a term uh, this week, Tuesday, uh, finding our new, better normal. Um, I'm looking, I will be looking, and I think we all should be respective, regardless of where we come from, uh, personally or professionally, understanding that there will be a new normal after we come out of this, but let's find the better new normal. Uh, and so, uh, I, I would be open to some conversations on that. I do think there is, um, uh, we, we will all be eager to get back to a more regular footing. But what I have found, uh, over the last several weeks is that, um, we've, we held, a, we, our first virtual town hall meeting, we had uh, nearly 5,000 people participate. Uh, Even in our most heated council uh, uh, hearings, which usually have to do with zonings, um, you never get more than 50, 60 people. Um, Now, this might be a function that we were under a crisis, and it might be a function that more people were at home and had the ability to and understood. We had them as a captive audience. Uh, But you can't turn away from that uh type of engagement uh, very easily and so i think that it will be a mixture going forward of uh both in person and more virtual i think we may have trained a new group of folks uh on um we are we all are going to have a higher greater capacity as it pertains to to technology and i think that we would all be smart to continue to lean into that
0: so we're we're beginning to move the conversation by looking forward and there are a couple other topics i wanted to talk so i'm going to put you on the spot and have you weave some of these to, together um, so earlier you described the, the, the lucky situation or good planning that resulted in the fortuitous situation that Columbus was in financially going into the um, uh, going into the crisis. And part of that was the partnership between the federal government, Federal CARES Act, uh, state support. We have state government here in, in the city of Columbus. And so just by being here, that provides an employment boost, et cetera. Um, as you look forward. Uh, and you think about the next stages of the pandemic, how critical are those partnerships, that relationship between federal and state, federal, and local, state and local? Um, and then after that, I'm gonna ask you a few questions about leadership. And we'll we'll finish up there and thinking about you mentioned communication. So just as you're as you're preparing your response, know that we'll we'll talk about that here here at the end. But just how critical are those relationships between the different entities of government?
1: You know, I'll start on the local level and go up. Um, we, have tra- we are trained in Columbus uh, under the, the Columbus way as a mantra, but more as a uh, governing ethos um, that we approach big issues together in a collaborative way. Because truthfully, we know that we can't effectively solve the issues uh, uh, any other way. And so for us in Columbus, I think it's natural at this point, and that crosses public, private, uh, uh, and certainly uh, intra-elected uh, and intra-government on the local level. Um, what was uh, greatly appreciated, heartening, um, and what certainly saved lives was that partnership, uh, that Columbus way almost bu- bubbled up to an Ohio way um, throughout the pandemic. And so right away, uh, we were in close, coordination and uh, and conversations with the state government. Uh, most of this was administrative functions um, through the health department, working, our local health department working with the Ohio Department of Health and the mayor working with the governor. I can tell you the mayor, uh, to even uh, to this day, has a daily phone call with the governor um, I think it's the, the five or six larger cities in Columbus, maybe it's the eight larger cities in Ohio. Talk to the governor for uh, every day for an hour. I talked to the mayor. Then afterwards, they, they do the press conference, and we're able to get keep communications clear. Um, one of the things um, that because we the partnership was so strong, and because we felt that the, the coordination of the efforts were um, going well from the state level, we've worked we've worked to make sure that all of our guidelines have been in step with. Um, with, with the state government, and so that has been helpful. the Ohio way. I wish I could say that there was a American way that uh, was strung as uh, strong together and as closely coordinated and focused as um, the Columbus and the Ohio way. Uh, I think that uh, what we again we were we were appreciative that we received that 157 million dollars in the car- in the initial stimulus dollars to, this, to cities. Uh, we we would be um, we need those dollars to fill feed fill the, the the hole. What we do have and what we work really closely with was our, our congressional delegation. Um, early on, we were on, in conversations with uh, our Congresswoman Beatty, um, uh, with uh, our senators, both uh, Sherrod Brown and and Rob Portman. Everybody pretty from pretty much was pretty aligned. Um, one of the the, the one example of this was um, the, the first PPP uh, program, Paycheck pr- uh, Protection Program rolled out. Um, didn't have as much success getting to smaller businesses as anyone expected or anybody wanted. And so working with, the, with our uh, local delegation um, and uh, our, our senators were, were able to, to fashion a, a, a better program for the second round. Um, and I thought that was, that was helpful and it was, a, it was good 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 relationship.
0: So those are great examples, and you, you mentioned some exceptional public servants in there, elected and uh, throughout the conversation, um, those who, who serve um, in unelected positions as well. You mm-hmm. we made reference to them, if not by name, and, and you don't need to name names, but what you, you've had the privilege of being able to see a lot of people in leadership roles, whether they be in formal roles like an elected official, but also I would imagine you've seen a lot of people on the front lines exercising leadership in the medical sector or in the economic sector. What, as you think about what's happened to date, and, and as you imagine going forward, what do you see as the critical sort of leadership requirements? You mentioned communication earlier. What do, what do you think are the essence of effective leadership in this time of, of crisis?
1: You know what, I think it is, um, communication, 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 and clarity in that communication. Um, why we collectively as a state um, managed through this, I believe, was because of the daily uh, briefings that uh, Governor DeWine and uh, Dr. Acton uh, gave to us. They, in, in um, clear, um, in a... Uh, 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 as clear as can be, and in a uh, calm and reassuring way, uh, provided comfort and confidence that even though what we were going through, we had never seen before, um, it was very serious, was very dire, that they understood the, the nature and the, the severity of the issue, but also that they had been working on and were providing us with details of a plan. They were also clear about what they did not know. I think that uh, folks see through, folks aren't, especially when you're dealing with a pandemic, uh, especially when you're dealing with something that had never been seen before, I think folks see that uh, we are um, like they are. We might have a little bit information a little bit before them, uh, the rest of the public, but uh, they knew that and they know um, during moments of crisis, they don't expect perfection. They expect to be told the truth, uh, and they they want to uh, follow uh, whoever has the best information. And so, um, having clarity in information, being honest and open when we did don't didn't or don't have the full information, um, but but coming from a posture of planning uh, and process, uh, I think is is critical and key uh, in managing. Uh, you have to keep the populace um, along with you. Um, government uh you know you we we rule we, we we lead by consent of the of the public um they have to consent and agree to uh these uh, uh social constructs these the, the idea of, of government and and that is not an, an action of a force it's an action of confidence of of um uh giving them the best information and asking them to come along and i think that we've seen a lot of that um, from the state and local government leaders
0: that's a that's a great way to end this and, and we could keep talking i know for for hours in fact i'm, I'm already planning a, your return some months from now when we are at a different stage of uh of this uh pandemic um, it's really been a pleasure to, to, to learn about how the city council works and how Columbus has weathered this. So, Council President Hardin, thanks so much for making time. And um, we won't tell your nephew that you're not really the president. <laughs>
1: There's a whole generation of kindergartens out there who are going to have a messed up understanding of uh, of government structure. Oh, well, that's the job
0: of the Ohio State University, the and court. we're going to send them right there. Yeah, we'll, we'll provide that civics education.
1: Thank you so much, but, Dean. And I'd also be remiss if I didn't say I've appreciated the Columbus way, the public part, uh, partnership with with your um, co- with your school, uh, and providing uh, Glen—we call them Glen turns—to uh, Columbus City Council, um, funded uh, in partnership with this uh, city and with, uh, this, um, with the Glenn College. Uh, we've really appreciated. They have um, built out real programs that are running in the city of Columbus. And we're very appreciative of that, of that real-time, actionable uh, education that you're giving to our community.
0: Well, no- another example of the Columbus and as you put it, the Ohio way. We-, we love partnering. So thanks again. We'll look forward to seeing you back here some other time. Stay healthy. Take care. Policy Brief is produced by the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University.